honestly, here's the truth. We're creating bourbon-based canned cocktails, okay? And we're in bourbon country. We're huge bourbon fans. We understand the ethos of the bourbon world. And we're if we're going to be in a can, we better be fun and relaxed and free. And the 70s kind of retro vibe like represents all of that. We don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we worked... Mike can attest to this. I mean, Mike worked with a food scientist out of Denver, Colorado to learn how to translate a cocktail to a can. And we did that for a year and a half. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here, and so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Decoding Cocktails. I am Chris LeBeau. Thanks for being here. Uh, Today, we're going to get into a super fun and emerging topic. My guests are Janelle and Mike Bass, and uh, these are two lovely individuals who met during the pandemic. Uh, Janelle had been living in Los Angeles and moved back home to her native Kentucky, and uh, there she met Mike. And uh, in addition to falling for each other, they uh, fell into business together, and so here we are. We're here today to talk about their company, Pony Boy Slings. It is a uh, collection of canned cocktails, and I was uh, interested because on two different occasions at Tales of the Cocktail this year, uh, I had some delicious ready-to-drink cocktails, and in part probably because of my own suspicion, but also being in a smaller market but we don't have access to everything always, Much of what I've tried so far has only been okay, and uh, I also will cop to the fact that I'm sure there are great brands out there that I just haven't gotten around to trying yet. But we met uh, late one afternoon towards the end of the exhaustive tales of the cocktail, and uh, our conversation just hit it off right away. We were having a great time, and so we hung out for several hours, and we said, hey, we should do this at some point in time. So you're going to get to hear a variety of things, like What's the difference in their mind between a seltzer and a canned cocktail? You're also going to get to hear about things like what you have to consider as opposed to making a single order cocktail. Uh, They came to this by way of making kegged or batched cocktails that were on draft. But what you need to think about when you're kegging or even canning a cocktail from a flavor and balance perspective. Uh, The term sling is one that you uh, might be familiar with, but also it kind of blends into the name. And as they were quick to point out, sling is uh, an old term for a style of cocktail. And so they wanted to bring that back along with the retro image that they have created for Pony Boy, which is super fun. Uh, And uh, Mike even talks about during this that the term slinging drinks comes from sling cocktails. An important perspective as well for me is the idea that Uh, as Janelle will talk about a little bit, that they didn't want to create diet cocktails, as is what many seltzers are. They wanted to create delicious, full-flavored drinks 
that are really designed to stand in as best for a traditional cocktail when possible. So I think there's something really to that, and uh, we all have to have our own uh, drinking and uh, uh, health journey, but I love kind of their approach to that. You'll also get to hear a little bit about the iterations and research required to make this happen, um, that in terms of finding the right balance and flavors that will stand up over time in a canned cocktail, took them a long, long journey. Uh, they are two great people. You should definitely follow them and keep up with their journey. Right now, the product is only available in Kentucky. So if you're in the area, hopefully you will consider grabbing some. Uh, you can find Mike at barkeeping underscore it underscore real on Instagram. Janelle, you will find at Janelle, J-A-N-E-L-L. I believe it's Lenfert, L-E-N-F-E-R-T, Bass. And then uh, keep up with the brand at Drink Pony Boy. You should check out some of their collateral. It is hilarious and, uh, yeah, very engaging stuff. So enjoy this conversation with Janelle and Mike. So Janelle and Mike, my, I was, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready for today. I remember sitting in the Napoleon house at the end of Tales of the Cocktail. My body was crying out for me to stop. And for some reason, I feel like it was you were, Janelle, I think you were looking at your phone or there was something. And I saw the term pony boy. And for some reason, I was like, well, that sounds like a cool name. We started talking. And before you know it, like we're hung out, we hung out for like whatever it was, like two or three hours afterwards. Um, so it was a fun end to tales when I just really needed to badly go home at that point. Uh, <laughs> we still had a few days left in us, I think, at that point. Yeah, barely, it was. Yeah, I, feel like it was I feel like it was Friday night or whatever, but uh, it was crazy. That was a lot. Um, yeah, it was a lot. I was definitely struggling at the end. And Mike's like, one more night. I'm like, how do you do this? <laughs> yeah. And I had taken Thursday night off. Um so, you know, you both have worked a little bit in the industry, but to kind of start at the top, uh, you know, COVID of all things, you know, brought Janelle back from LA to, to Kentucky and thus a serendipitous meeting of, of, of said couple. But how does, how does one begin to think, Hey, maybe we should think about making a, a ready to drink cocktail like company. How, how, what is the arc to get to even starting to think about making Pony Boy in the first place? Uh, yeah. Um, you want me to take this one? <laughs> yeah. We've got this one down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, you, we did it at first. I mean, that wasn't our initial in intention. Um, you know, when we got together and we realized that we had similar backgrounds and skills in the bar and, uh, you know, bar industry, we kind of just ran with it. You know, we didn't really know what our niche would be or where we ended up or would end up. And so when we started Punchbowl Project, it was because he was getting jobs, I was getting jobs, and we thought, well, we might as well do this together because one, it'd be a lot more fun, and two, it's just going to make things easier. So at first, you know, we were doing cocktail consulting for, you know, bourbon brands around Kentucky. We did RFPs for national restaurant accounts. Um, you know, we were doing events and visitor center cocktails and just kind of saying yes to whatever was coming our way. In the RTD space, 
can cocktail space, we, you know, that was, that was presented to us. And so it was an event that we were um, creating cocktails for in Lexington. It was a charity event and it went over really well. And, and at the time um, he's an investor who invests in startup companies. He basically plucked a card off of our bar and we had a meeting with him two weeks later and he said, you know, you, you got to stop consulting and you start putting your cocktails, you know, in cans. And we kind of looked at each other we're like, can cocktails? Uh, huh. Interesting. Okay. And we're like, challenge accepted. Let's do it. And we had no idea like how to actually get into it at that point. But we were like, this is interesting. This is cool. I think this is going to be the niche for us. And it, and it was. Yeah, because we were on a roll with with um, kegged cocktails for some of the the distilleries we were producing their cocktails at their visitor centers, as Janelle said, that they were selling, you know, to to guests yes. that were coming in, and so essentially we, you know, had a test market going. So we we kind of knew what was moving and where the the you know, the, the different SKUs that we have now, how those were going over with the community, what worked, what didn't. So we kind of just leaned right into that. And we're like, well, dang, we already have, you know, two or three that we know could work. So let's learn how to translate these into a can. Right, Which right. Which is totally different than and into a keg. Yes, we were doing traditional bourbon cocktails for people when they wanted it, you know, old fashions, Manhattans sours things like that but we were also doing something that was a little bit different where we were doing these cocktails that were carbonated and the the bourbon was more on the back end and we were using real you know fruit from orchards in the area and we were making syrups from herbs and stuff so we were already throwing that in a keg carbonating it and putting it on tap which is very much what would go in a can. So I think that, you know, he is now our strategic partner and kind of could foresee this, this translating really well. And, and that's where the connect happened. We had to appeal to the masses. So we're doing <laughs> these large events, especially during the summer. It's like, okay, yes, we do have a, you know, we would, we would do the logistics on these events and have three bars going. So one of them, obviously, we would have like an old fashioned to show really showcase this, the bourbon. Um, and then, you know, you have a lot of people out there that don't want to spirit forward. So we had to have a couple options for those. So when it comes to like a, a draft cocktail versus a canned cocktail, you said you kind of had to learn the space a little bit. And, you know, we don't need to get crazy technical, but like, you know, knowing that a draft cocktail at times is going to, you know, is batched large enough or is going to sit, you know, for at least a little while. Are there basic principles that you would do different for batching something in mass like that versus something that maybe needs to sit on a shelf? I guess a draft cocktail you can probably reliably assume is going to be refrigerated. Um, but are there ways you kind of, are there ways that ingredient specs, you know, begin to get altered at all in whatever way you can think about answering that again i don't know if people need to go super into the detail i guess i'm just curious like how do i think about what might be in a can like this cream soda as opposed to if you were going to put it on draft are there ways that the formulation would change in whatever ways you guys are comfortable talking about 
Yeah, I mean, we we shy away from citrus. So what what I learned basically was how to how to translate that or mimic citrus by using real, you know, essence and natural flavors of say lemon or lime and balancing that with the proper acids to where we were kind of recreating lemon juice, um, which citric acid's being used a lot more often now in bars. So we kind of took that and we're like, okay, well, you know, with a keg, you run into problems of everything layering. So like when you have a cocktail program with kegs, you want to shake them up every day and and whatnot and allow for that layering. And keep them refrigerated because of the natural. Right, exactly. So yeah, we we fix that with acids. Got it. Yeah. And so something we can link out to as well in the show, yeah, just in general, is like, yeah, there are conversation at times about <clears throat> drinks being acid adjusted or when people are just synthesizing lemon or lime is kind of one of the big things right there. Um, okay. Yeah, we didn't want to like, we didn't want to use, um, like go into creating a cocktail that was very citrusy because then um you're trying to recreate that and it never is the same as is fresh juice and fresh juice just doesn't have a shelf life so when mm -hmm. we were choosing what to put in a can because a typical cocktail would be a shaken cocktail would be you know spirit citrus sugar but it to translate to a can that uh citrus element had to change and that's that's what mike learned how to do was balance all the acids and and basically get that uh, acidic feeling without it being, um, you know, a, a margarita, right? Like a margarita is so hard to make delicious unless it's super fresh. So we stayed away from that and found that uh, berry concentrates work really well. So that's why we have cherry and a strawberry. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, thank you for sending them over. Like, yeah, the berry... The, the cherry and the strawberry, like they, you, they, the essence really does come through in that way in terms of, I can tell like the, like the, um, the bourbon pop star, you know, is certainly, I think they are, uh, well, I think the cream soda probably has the most, it definitely has the most whiskey flavor, but yeah, like the strawberry, uh, for the bourbon pop star just feels like, oh yeah, like anybody could like crush this out. And I think the cherry is just a richer drink. I think, um, but both of those feel like you could hand them to to anyone right there. They could just <clears throat> yeah take them out right there. Yeah, and they all pretty much have the equal bourbon in them. Um, sure. The reason the cream soda does is because we do use real vanilla and a little bit of butterscotch, which are undertones usually uh, in some of the nuances of bourbon coming from the barrel. So I think that's where that familiarity comes from because a lot of yeah. people are like, oh well, there's a lot of bourbon in this but it's really about the same they're all seven percent right yeah and I, I i saw that the proofing was the same i guess i didn't know if yeah just the whiskey wasn't um it it didn't have as many flavors competing with it but yeah to your point if you're adding things that uh remind us of the flavors of whiskey that's certainly going to be a piece right there so I feel like I know where this goes, but I'd love to hear because I feel like I'm, I was in an event yesterday. I'm like, I'm going to die on the hill of people using more and knowing, knowing more about fortified wines. 
Talk to us about using vermouths and sherries in these. Like, what role are they playing? Talk to us about how this is really adding an important element. Uh, because I'm, I'm, de I'm delighted that they're in there. Yeah, I'm gonna. I think Mike, you should definitely take this. But one thing I want to say is Mike ran a, a vermouth and sherry bar in Orlando and knows how to use them really, really well. And I always joke that that's our secret weapon. <laughs> and cooking also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always a bottle of sherry by the, by the uh, stove when I'm cooking. Um, yeah. I mean, I took what I knew from, from creating beverage programs at restaurant bars and it's like, all right, if these are going to be original cocktails, then these are going to, you know, be cocktails designed well and balanced out well. And I think that just adds a, an undertone to it that that you don't get with just a straight, you know, straight bourbon and just juice and, and acid and sugar. So we kind of leaned into also the fact that the the spritz category is kind of taking off. I believe like Aperol Spritz is about to go national here as it is in Europe. And so we're like, well, let's get ahead of that a little bit because people are going to start knowing more people are going to start learning about vermouths and cherries and amaros in their, you know, everyday RTDs. So we kind of tapped into that as well. Yeah. And how I think they affect the flavor and and why we like to use them so much is, you know, people kind of give us a little bit of a shocked look when they hear bourbon and dry vermouth. They're like, wait, what? Because they're so familiar with Manhattans. But we, we use a younger bourbon. So that with the dry vermouth on the cherry and the strawberry really makes it finish dry. Mm -hmm. So that front you get, any kind of sweetness you get is really from the, the fruit on the front end and then the dryness kind of helps with the finish and the sherry that we use in the cream soda just kind of rounds it out and gives it that nuttiness mm -hmm. and it, it it still makes it um it feels layered without feeling thick if that makes any sense it's like a how you know a wine connoisseur drinks a good wine is you're always trying to figure out like what what is that? What, what is like, you're figuring out the layers. So by it finishing dry, it's like, you can, you get the bourbon on the back end, but you also kind of get that finish from the vermouth and sherry. And it ultimately just want, makes you want to take another sip yeah. <laughs> and get to the bottom of it. Literally. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I completely see the dry vermouth, dry sherry angle because yeah, you're getting the, the juiciness, the sweetness from the fruits. And so you need something to kind of add a little bit of subtle bitterness, but also kind of dry the drink out. I think that is one of the things I enjoy talking with people about with vermouths and the Italian bitters of the world is like bitterness because we just don't have still a ton of it in our, in our cuisine. It's like, oh, bitterness is actually refreshing. And so, yeah, how do you make the drink like, like where you want that next sip as opposed to like this, you know, a sugar bomb, you know, like, again, like carries all sorts of connotations these days, but like adding that dryness, that bitterness really helps to make the drink more refreshing ultimately too. Absolutely. And when I lived in LA, I worked at an Italian restaurant. It's called Osteria La Buca. And we were known for our Amaros. We had tons of Amaros. So, you know, I, we love using them too. And I think definitely, you know, down the line, if we, if we can, we, we'd probably love to incorporate that too. Because any bartender listening to this, 
they they totally get it it's like when you've worked in a bar you've had everything so much that you start to seek out the obscure so i think it's been kind of fun to play around with the modifiers and 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 how we want to layer these so yeah baby steps <laughs> <laughs> i'm already thinking you know what well, we, we're doing good yeah because we're, we're going to definitely talk about that um at the highest level you know when we start to use terms like seltzer ready to drink cocktail are we really splitting hairs if it, i mean so i want to first be very clear i think that there is absolutely a difference of formulation and quality that kicks up a level between you guys and like dare i say like a white claw but like but but when we think about what that is versus what you guys are making is the difference purely quality of ingredients and difference of formulation or is there something that that would that technically makes something a seltzer versus a ready-to-drink cocktail yeah um yeah I, definitely i mean seltzers are mostly you know carbonated water you know they're using flavors and a spirit or malt um you know white claw is a malt-based seltzer it's about, it, you know, it's like a three ingredient seltzer. It's basically, you know, LaCroix with alcohol. <laughs> they do have vodka. Right, it's flavored. Yeah, now they, they have vodka. And then of course, High Noon was really what put it on the map with the vodka soda. It just basically flavored vodka sol sodas in a way or seltzers, but they have tequila seltzers. It's really just water spirit flavor where, you know, for us, we're not malt, we are actual spirit and we're bourbon and we're multiple, you know, we have the fortified wine in there too with the spirit. We've got real juice. We use real sugar. A lot of the seltzers are doing um, artificial sugars to get that calorie count down. And, you know, we're bartenders. So we decided not to make diet cocktails. We're just making cocktails, but because our yeah, our palate is not very sweet. It's a happy accident. All our cans fall under 200 calories a can, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, it it's just more ingredients for us when it comes to creating the cocktail and just different ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think in many cases, we've certainly seen, I think, the backlash against some of them for as we kind of discover what was in some of the early arrivals, it's like, oh, we want all natural ingredients. But yeah, I like to tell people, say, I applaud you guys for this. It's like, how do I reduce the number of calories in a drink? It's like, well, it's simple. You just drink fewer drinks, but drink really good drinks. That said, when you're drinking Pony Boys, you should obviously, you know, drop a four pack for sure. But like, but in general, you know, it's like, you know, stop trying to like pull delicious stuff out of your, your, your drink and just have drink well, you know, when you are. That, that's a really good point. I mean, when we were deciding what we wanted to do as far as a canned cocktail goes, I mean, we had so many people tell us what they think we should do. And there are lots of talks about the low calories, no sugar and all that stuff. And that was our, what you just said is, was one of our deciding factors. Factors We're like, okay, we're all grownups. Everyone can decide how they want to drink. And that's not really on us. We're going to make the best tasting cocktail with the absolute best ingredients we can get our hands on. And the rest is up to you. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's not, that's not our job. <laughs> so, you know, eat a salad that day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that, that, that's running is good for my, my soul, but it's also like, Hey, like, you know, getting older, trying to live a good life, but it's like, Hey, I do these things so I can do these things over here. Right. So come that's on. Impressive. And we're so you, still less than a margarita or even right. a glass of red wine. So, you, okay. That's it's always a good comparison. So you, uh, so you, 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 sp you spoke about it was nice that you had a test market kind of in the bag, having made some of these uh, batched cocktails. How did Pony Boy as a brand, as an I, as an ethos, you know, kind of begin to take shape around that? Like, how did you decide? Like, we want this kind of like seventies, eighties vibe. Uh, how did you, how did you guys kind of be that that begin to unfurl in front of you guys? Yeah. Uh, you want me to take this? <laughs> okay. Now I feel like I'm talking to it. Um, <laughs> She's our spokesperson. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's funny because we, we have definitely like learned our strengths, you know, and what, what things we talk about uh, the best. Honestly, here's the truth. We're creating bourbon-based canned cocktails, okay? And we're in bourbon country. We're huge bourbon fans. We understand the ethos of the bourbon world. And we're if we're going to be in a can, we better be fun and relaxed and free. And the 70s kind of retro vibe like represents all of that. We don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we worked... Mike can attest to this. I mean, Mike worked with a food scientist out of Denver, Colorado to learn how to translate a cocktail to a can. And we did that for a year and a half. Like we really worked our butts off to try to make this the absolute best ready to drink cocktail that we could make. Right. But then when we got into market, the last thing we want is for anyone to feel like they're, they don't know what it is or uneducated sometimes in the bar world there's a lot of pretentiousness. And the last thing we wanted was that we wanted you to feel like you're the bartender, you're having fun, you're the one hosting the party. And it's, you know, it's um, fun, free 70s chill. And that 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 felt the most authentic to us and what we we're creating. And I am a product of the 70s. Not <laughs> Not to age myself in public, but yeah. if I don't, uh, Janelle will. <laughs> yeah, I, that's true. Mike, as a quick aside, and I imagine people could find this online if they looked, um, but if people were, I mean, maybe there's people out there that, that are interested in the movement in general, but if people just wanted to geek out, like, are there... You know, you, you spoke of working with a food scientist for a year and a half on this. Are there general resources you could point people towards if they just wanted to understand better the science behind these ready-to-drink cocktails? Are there, you know, again, without again without tipping our hands for formulations and whatever, I guess I'm just curious if there are resources you'd ever uh, recommend that people could read read up on to understand how this stuff is even working. No, <laughs> that's what we <laughs> ran into. No, literally, it was, it's, I mean, BevNet is, is kind of a good go-to, um, the, the podcasts like this, um, interviews, just basically digging in and research, but that's what we found. There is really no, as of now, there's no 
direct source to go to. And, you know, there are those that want to help and there are those that want to hold, you know, the cards tight to their chest. So we did reach out to a lot of brand owners and some of them wrote back and some of them, you know, did not regret it and didn't respond. (laughs) Those are the ones we didn't reach back out to. But no, I mean, it was literally a year and a half of formulation and the first, you know, four months of that was just digging in. I mean, still, I'm still looking. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so step one, find yourself a reliable food scientist and step two, build relationship with food scientist. Okay. Got it. That's no, I didn't know that's, and especially when you're in a green space, that makes sense. And yeah, certainly it makes sense as well that certain things, you know, especially if people have their own little slights of hand that help them do their thing, they might want to keep that close to the vest and yeah, that's life. Yeah. And I, I, I want to touch on that too. Like, I mean, it was like so hard to find any information out there. I mean, we really, I mean, there were moments where we're like, are we even going to be able to do this? And if, if someone did have an idea for an RTD, I, hundred percent think you should go for it. You know, absolutely try to figure it out, reach out to people like us. We're very open, you know, to this, like we love to help. We're not someone who wouldn't, you know, help the RTD space, because I think when, when one of us succeeds, we all succeed, you know, we're a new category and we want to support each other. Um, but I will say there are houses out there like flavor houses that you can go to and say, Hey, I want to make, you know, a mule and they'll go great. You can hire us to do it all for you, which is fine. And a lot of people use these flavor houses for that, but just because we're bartenders and we have such specific, I think palettes and and we really wanted a, a very um a specific taste we wanted to do it ourselves mm-hmm. was it a harder route oh my gosh yes but right. at the end of the day i do feel like we we've made a, a cocktail in a can that that we're getting great feedback on you know so it's like hopefully our hard work is paying off but yeah there are some flavor houses out there that do have some resources on their site that are you know, a bit helpful to the, to an extent. And then it, it always ends with, or you can just have us do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I yep. mean, we, from what I found is a lot of them have, have uh, a limit to the iterations that they do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we'll get it, but you get three iterations. And after that, you can either pay for more or just go with the third, but we literally on some of ours, we did, you know, up to 30. Wow. Okay. With that yeah. period of time. Yeah. Poor Mike would bring <laughs> it in for me to taste and I'd be <laughs> I'd have yeah. almost every time. <laughs> uh, one of the things you reached back into history on for this, because uh, I feel like, you know, as cocktail lexicons <laughs> and spirit awareness rises, people's knowledge is, but, but sling is an old term. Uh, so just for people that would see that and think, that they um and 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 kind of just see like oh pony boy slings but not even just like oh that's the brand name what is a sling just for the sake of it in terms of its uh historical reference sling is a cocktail with sugar um water water bitters, bitters spirit. um spirit stretched with soda water 
So we wanted to kind of like, kind of be the first to bring that back. I mean, yes, you have your Singapore slings and gin slings, but they're not widely used. So, you know, um, White Claw or what is it? High Noon is a, what is it? Sun, Sun Sips. So it's like, okay, rather than be Pony Boy cocktails, um, let's come up with something, you know, that kind of sets us apart from the rest and yeah, and could be the beginning of, of, of a new genre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, spritzes, spritzes, right. Uh, Collins, margaritas, like these are all types of drinks. Sling is a drink too, you know? So we are like, no one ever uses slings. This is essentially what a sling is. So yeah, we, that's why we chose to, we did go back and forth on it though. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. As I think brainstorming would, but I appreciate it because sling is one of those things that, yeah, if I'm reading a cocktail history book, there it is, Mm -hmm. but really nowhere outside of a random obscure reference at random cocktail bar, do you ever see the term sling out there? And so, yeah, also again, fitting for a retro brand to bring, uh, something like that back right there. Um, do Don't you say got from slinging drinks came from as well? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I've never drawn that before. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So of the three products so far, has I mean, have any emerged? I feel like for me, like, and and while I don't remember, you know, to, to the retro angle of it, like when I saw like the cream soda, I don't necessarily even remember drinking a lot of cream soda. I remember my dad being a big fan of cream soda. So when I saw there was cream soda, I was like, whoa, that's cool. Uh, but <laughs> in terms of what you feel like demand so far, is there is there a front runner? Hopefully they're all beloved. How, how, how are you finding the reception for your the, the flavors thus far? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. It keeps going back and forth. I mean, honestly, I feel like in the beginning, we launched in July. So it was hot at that point. And I feel like the cherry was really the front runner because of the tartness and the bright poppy. People were like really going for the cherry, followed by the cream soda and then the strawberry. And now that it's becoming fall we're finding that people are really digging the strawberry a ton and and then cream soda the cream soda just keeps staying in the middle and then the cherry so we're we're just like sitting back watching how people change and and it's funny because like my stepmom you know she's not a big bourbon drinker and was just stoked with the cherry one because it's definitely blended in with the cherry it's it's more mass than the other two I feel like but now her favorite's the strawberry. So it's like it bounces all around. My dad loves the cream soda, though, to, to the day he dies. He loves that cream soda. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Why yeah. I... So at this point in time, you know, you're, you know, I remember when we, when we first started talking, yeah, it was like, yeah, we our, our first runs are literally, you know, have, have just come out. As you kind of look forward at this point in time, and none of us has a perfect crystal ball, is it more about how do we cover the 50 states? Is it, uh, are you looking next to like product line expansion? How do you think about your goals for like growing the company, if at all? So so, so where is this going in terms of more products versus greater greater reach, do you feel like at this point? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely are only in Kentucky we want to saturate the market here and really get our feet wet and then slowly branch out into surrounding 
areas. I mean, Indiana's right across the river. It makes sense that we're literally one minute into Indiana. Um, and then we are um, planning to launch in Nashville in the spring of 2024. Basically places that she and I can get to <laughs> in two hours while we're just a two-man band for now and cover markets and not spread ourselves too thin. Uh, we have been getting advice from some brand owners that are like, just stay in Kentucky. <laughs> Don't ever leave Kentucky. <laughs> but yeah, we just want to slowly expand out and, and see where it goes. Yeah. And, you know, goals for sure would love to become national. I mean, that would be, you know, the main big goal, but we're trying to be realistic and, and, you know, not bite off more than we can chew and build a brand community. Yeah. We don't want to yeah. just get everywhere right away. You know, we want this to be a repeat order. Right. And that means it, we, we do tastings and we take care of our accounts and, you know, we're just want to do our best right now and, and let it, you know, slowly kind of go to our neighboring states and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think about, you know, as the, the canned, canned cocktail, you know, seltzer market explodes, it, it, it is interesting how like, I feel like suddenly just brands are just like there here and everywhere. And I'm just like, what is this thing all about? Like, I, I feel like at times, like, like for me, and this is a personal thing, it's like, oh, picking up something is kind of like a, not always. I enjoy a bush beer as much as many people, but like I, but I feel like, yeah, that having taking time to build out a brand ethos in terms of like what this, hopefully this can can represent more than that. So when you, I know you guys just had like a launch event, tell people a little bit about like what, you know, you know, you hope Pony Boy, you know, feels like to you guys, because like, you know, it's very clear when you look at brand imagery and we'll link out to it that like you guys are clearly cutting a line here. So what did that party all entail when you guys threw that? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, the biggest thing for us is that, you know, we want to show people that bourbon doesn't always have to be so spirit forward. We want to show people that bourbon is an amazing spirit that usually only gets presented to you, or we don't want to show this. This is what is the actual, um, the thing that's happening right now is that bourbon is always just given to people either on the rocks, neat, or in a Manhattan old fashioned, something where they're highlighting bourbon, which is great. But bourbon as a spirit is so you know, there's so many flavors and 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 taste to it that if blended properly, it can actually make a really awesome, cohesive kind of taste. So what we want to do is say, hey, you can use this the same way you use vodka, tequila, rum. It can be mixed and into like a really easy drinking cocktail. So we're putting it on the back end and kind of just trying to show people what you can do with it is our whole, whole kind of feel with it and giving it it's time to shine. I mean, yeah. I'm from here originally, right? Mike's from Orlando. What we met here, we started our businesses here. We love bourbon. The bourbon community is super tight and we, you know, they deserve to have their bubbly, fun, sessionable moment. And we're, we're doing that. We're trying to bring that out and not in a form of like, 
a mixed drink where it's just a bourbon cola. You know, we're doing something that you can't pull up to a bar, sit and say, can you make me a bourbon pop star? You can't, right? Unless you have the right. cans. So we're trying to do original recipes and give people something they haven't had before. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that, you know, clearly plenty plenty fun has been had with with with, with bourbon but um but yeah why can't it be more of like a, a a fun easy going thing on the other end i think it's fun you know and i guess the oaxaca old fashioned has done this for a while but i love the idea as agave booms i love showing people it in more spirit forward you know martini or other style representations where it's like hey here's a, a completely different look for agave over here, much like you're trying to offer people with, with bourbon, which I think is fun because it is something I enjoy that most people that are resistant to it um, when it comes to that. Yeah, they're like, they have been presented a straight pour on ice, old fashioned Manhattan. I'm like, if I punch out this whiskey sour for you, I'm, I'm 89% sure you're going to be like, oh, turns out I like whiskey. It's more the format in which it is. And you guys are obviously just carrying that forward to another level is what you're doing. Absolutely. That's exactly what, yes, you hit the nail on the head for sure. And um, I always said that running bars, you always have the people that you go to make them a gin cocktail, you know, like a hanky panky or something like that. And they're like, no, 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 I hate gin. That's like, you don't really hate gin. You would learn that they've only had it in a gin and tonic. So what they ultimately hate is tonic. So they associate yeah. gin tonic and being you know having that astringent bitterness when it's not so yeah exactly i like it uh, i have at least one other question in mind um but if there's anything you guys want to get to let me know let's make sure we cover all the bases so it's it's you know once you kind of have your formulation worked out at that point in time after 30 uh you know back and forth and you're like come on already it's time to like press go. I want this to appear like in this can. Like, what does that look like? Like who, like uh, names aside, like who does one work with? How, how do canned cocktails get pushed into production at the level you guys are pushing right there? Yeah. I mean, it depends on who's making it, right? Fair. Yeah. And, and, and so for, for something at your guys level right there, yeah. how do you, how do you find someone that's capable of, of producing that? for you yeah so basically you know clearly we don't have our own facility and canning line <laughs> because we are you know the ones who created the recipe so what you have to do is basically find a co-packer that meets all the requirements yeah so you have to have a co-packer um and then usually um depending on if they have a canning line or not we use Ironheart, which is a mobile canning service. And so they work with tons and tons of co-packers and, and suppliers like us to be able to, you know, get these cans created. And yeah, you just go from there. I mean, we would have loved to have it in our backyard, but because we're brand new uh, brand, our MOQs were smaller. So we had to find a co-packer that could meet that need. And so ours is down in North Carolina. So we basically created it all here, ship it to them. They put it in the cans and then ship it back. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. And when you're creating it, like what, what are the volumes in which you, I mean, obviously again, like, you know, maybe small potatoes compared to other people, but like, in what volumes do you create this before you ship it down there? Depends on what 
you have the funding for and what MOQs. And then I, my, my advice is don't go super heavy right off the bat because you're still in a testing stage on mm-hmm. your first run. Yep. So you don't want to be stuck with a ton of inventory. Um, and then, you know, start, start mediocre and then scale out from there, whether you're doing, you know, small runs and, and, and more intervals throughout the year or however many markets you're in, it all just depends. Totally fair. No, that's to me, it's, yeah, just trying to like, yeah, like even like a term like co-packer, I'm like, oh, I've heard that word before, but I would have, yeah, like, and I feel like it may even come up when we talk, but like just things I, you know, just you see, you see the can before you and you're like, oh, this is nice, but like understanding what does it take for like the juice to end up in here is always like a thing that to the outsider, you're like, how does this work exactly? So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It's so much, honestly. I mean, we learned all of this as well. I mean, uh, now we talk like we're experts because I mean, I wouldn't even say we are, but we just are now experienced in doing this. But at the time, yeah, it's all brand new stuff. And um, yeah, like Mike said, if there were, if there's any advice, it starts small, just start as small as you can, because you never know where you need to pivot. And especially if you're the one running it, you don't have a giant team, you want to make sure you can have a grasp on everything. But yeah, it's... um, and and not all co-packers are created equal. I mean, we, sure. yeah, you kind of have to go on interview process, interviewing and and how you vibe with the people and if they have the same kind of um, ethos as you, really. Yeah, go there, check the facility out, meet them. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a giant process. <laughs> crazy i laugh all the time i can't believe we we're doing this but at the end of the day we always say would we go back and do it again and we would for sure that's cool yeah um and this could be just another stage in growth and maybe one you never cross but you know so like you know i can get wine shipped to me in the mail vodka and whatever i guess or you know you can do through certain third-party services now but you know something like this could be easier is you know internet ordering something that is available you would ever pursue or is it just a distraction right now in terms of like who outside of Kentucky is actually going to order them right now how, how do you think about like are online orders something that a lot of brands do in your guys space do you know I feel like they they do because we have tried you know there's a lot of RTDs that we during our R&D phases that we tried that we did order through e-commerce um, it is a whole nother beast. So it's, it's something that we've thought about and considered, but not at the moment. Got it. Yeah. I mean, like as, as somebody running a small business, I understand it's like the world is out there and it's like, okay, focus, focus, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I would love it to be able to be offered like that, but you know, in the alcohol space, you got to remember every state acts as its own country. So to be able to do that, I mean, it's really is tackling so many things. And we want to be able to offer that at some point. I don't think we're there in the journey yet, but 
we do want to be able to be available online. It's Mm -hmm. just uh, like you said, it's a matter of who outside of Kentucky is going to be ordering it outside of friends and family, you know, but once we get maybe known on that kind of national scale, that might be when we pivot to that. Totally fair. If I'm in the broader Louisville area and knowing that, or Kentucky, uh, knowing that again, all retailers are not created equal. Like, are there, and like, is there a uh, how to find the product? I mean, like, how, how, so where should I be looking if I'm in the market and I want to bring some back to St. Louis? Yeah, so we're available, like you said, just in Kentucky right now. We're in different retailers. Um, we're in Total Wine. We're in a. Um, we're in Evergreen. Evergreen. Cox is Evergreen. Cox is Evergreen. Here, local in Louisville, we're in a place called Top Hat and Breeze Wine Shop. Um, and then we're in um, different- Party Source. Yeah, we just got in Party Source, which is huge for us. We're very excited about that. Liquor King, just outside of Cincinnati. And then um, in Lexington, we're in the Total Wines as well. And we're in different um, liquor stores in Richmond, uh, Liquor World of uh, Richmond and um, Paducah, One Stop Wine and Spirits. So different retailers like that. And then as far as bars go, we're in a, a bunch of different bars here in Louisville and Lexington. Cool. Good for you yeah. guys. Yeah, it's what kind a- of crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure it, like me, you like you look at your footprint and it just feels like so tiny, but like it's something you can look at and be like, I, I did that, you know, like that's, yeah. So oh yeah, I have moments where I'll just cry. I'll just like look around at a bar and people are holding our cans and I'm like, I can't believe they're enjoying our pony. <laughs> you know, it, it is, it's like a surreal uh, feeling at times for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people that want to learn more and all that good stuff, where do they, where do they find the brand online? Yeah, you can go to our website. It's drinkponyboy.com. Most of our stuff, though, is on Instagram, which is at drinkponyboy. I post, um, I, I pretty much do our social for that and and post the new bars that we get into, new stores. We have fun and, and stupid content that hopefully will make you laugh and uh, all that good stuff. <laughs> so one, yeah, it is really certainly a time warp when you look at the content. And I remember when we talked in july i think you had just bought uh the van and yeah and so like yeah if you guys want to if you guys want to truly step back in time you gotta gotta look up the the pony boy van it is it is yeah i'll tell you what uh that that van you know uh you know despite being um you know created with that vibe uh if that was a real thing right there that van would have some stories right there so uh <laughs> it is a real well, it is. Yeah, the 77 Chevy G20. Then we are the third owners of it, and it's got now 70,000 original miles on it. Yeah, but it it's was a time, it's a time capsule. Yeah, it was created by a man, his name's Jack Harris. He was the chief deputy in Columbus, Ohio, and um you know, he built it all out in 77 and then just never really drove it. It was garage kept for 45 years. I mean, it looks like it's never been used. It is wild. So now we're getting into the details here, but so like, I, I definitely know that style of van a little bit. So you're saying that even though you guys like, like renovated it, that it was kind of already built out in that way or did 
he did not renovate it. This is all, everything's original in it. No way. I didn't realize. Oh, okay. yeah. The only thing Mike and I did to it was throw a decal on it that says Pony Boy and put some Playboys in the back. <laughs> no, we inspired it out. The, the guy we bought it from, Seth, he, um, he you know, he works on on cars and has a nonprofit called um, Land and Speed Cathedral. Yeah in columbus and they help inner city kids work with their hands he and his wife started it during covid to kind of give kids a, an outlet that were you know cooped up during quarantine so he he purchased it from jack before he passed away he passed away in june um and he uh, he did you know everything that could go wrong with a with a van sitting in a garage for 40, those many 60. years yeah. yeah like replace hoses and tires and exhaust and gas tank so it's other than that it's all original and he did the branding on it and it looks amazing and this is what gets from being at the Peychaud's bar too many drinks in but like in my mind at least the history was and I'm sure you told me it accurately then it was oh they're buying this van and, and transforming it and uh my god that's great that's right. No, it's got like it's original shag carpet, purple velour bucket seats, pop quilted leather ceiling and sides. It's got the original TV, little refrigerator cooler. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I've seen the pictures. It's insane. I just thought it was your insane project. But that's so great. That's so great. <laughs> No, and it even the paint's even all original. It's a Cordova brown they don't even make anymore. So needless to say, we are terrified when we drive it. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Well, the, well, this has been great on my end. Anything else that we haven't covered you guys wanted to talk about today at all? Well, what'd you think about the drinks? What were your favorite? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so for me, I feel like from the the retro standpoint, uh, the throwback for me, I feel like the cream soda has the most allure for sure. Um, also anything that like, again, like already loving vermouth, anything that gives me the chance to trumpet sherry, you know, to me is always like another level of like geekdom and satisfaction for me. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, in terms of it's the middle of a nice afternoon and someone just hands me a drink, I could see how you know, the pop star or the cherry amore would be one of those things that like you just you just roll with throughout the day. I think, you know, the the cream soda more like slightly more uh, uh, requires your attention because it is, I think, again, to the to Mike's point about the vanilla and the butterscotch and whatnot, I think it is seemingly more spirit forward, even though it's very drinkable. Um, yeah. but but I think it's like that's one I want to more contemplate as opposed to the other ones are just like that's a backyard pool drink like the other two for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it that's um so our bourbon lovers are digging the cream soda. Yay. I <laughs> uh, yeah, so um Janelle and Mike were kind enough to send me a handful of samples and last night I had an event and was supposed to go to a gathering with friends afterwards and I was just wiped and so uh so anyways, I I told myself last night, I was like, well, I was like, I'm not going to be able to drink all of them, but I need to at least taste them. And so, but this morning, 
because this is what I do now. It's like, all right, well, we're just going to save the cream soda for the morning and we'll just have a, a taste or two of it then. So um, there you go. Here's to drinking it 1045 in the morning. So. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I get that. But no, our bourbon drinkers, they really love the cream soda. A lot of people who will say, I, oh, I'm, I don't like bourbon, they'll try our cherry and love it. And that is goes along with what we're trying to do is show people that it's just been presented to you in a way that maybe you, you don't like, but you actually may enjoy bourbon if it's made in this way. So the cherry really speaks to those people. And then the pop star is just like a neutral spritz. That's the one we go to for like pretty much every yep. time. Yep. <laughs> and nope. then, yeah. Nope. Agreed. I agree on that. The pop star is certainly the one that it's like, oh yeah, the afternoon, easy, totally easy. easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Well, awesome. thank you both. Well, thank you both very much. This has been this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having us, Chris. It's so good to see you again. You too. You too. Our instant friend. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. An easy environment to make them in, but we we certainly I was like, oh yeah, these are people worth knowing right here. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktail. Mm-hmm.